Well, good morning, everyone. Our reading from, from Kings this morning is about Hezekiah and the siege of Jerusalem and the threats that were, were breathed out against God's people. But what struck me was the way in which Hezekiah received the letter and read it. He was obviously upset about it. But what he did was he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Metaphorically speaking, we come into the presence of God, not that we're ever out of the presence of God, but we become particularly aware. This is a particular time that we've, we've come here to be still and to reflect, to seek out God and his presence. Hezekiah spread the letter out before God, brought his problems to God and prayed. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to worship this morning. We're going to listen for God this morning. And we're going to start in worship. Now on one of these bits of paper I've got written down which hymn we're going to sing. I I love this hymn. The words are very old. But it's an acknowledgement of God in the world and in creation. It's an acknowledgement of God as the ultimate bringer of life, an acknowledgement of God in the day-to-day. So let's all sing together, number 76, All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Hallelujah. Lord God, we, we meet together now to to listen to you, to wait for you. We come with hearts full of all kinds of things. Whether we come with strong faith or doubt. Whether we come with hearts full of happiness or sadness or even hearts full of longing, we pray, Lord, that you will satisfy our need, that you will meet us where we are and take us to where you want us to be. Lord, bless this time together, we pray, in everything that we do, in our worship, in our reading, in our listening, in our silence, in our remembering. Lord, bless us richly, we pray. Through Jesus. Amen. Care announcements. Hannah and Ollie have had a tough week. Hannah is still suffering from a kidney infection and uh, she has other problems too. And Ollie's had problems at work as a result of this. He's thinking about going part-time in his job and we pray that God will guide them in the way that's best so that as a family they're able to grow together. And we keep all of our new babies and their families in our prayers and, and also those uh, impending arrivals too. So we, we pray for those who are expecting. Pete uh, Griffiths is having further scans before his treatment starts. Uh, so we pray that you'll continue to so we ask that we ask that you, you pray for him continue to pray for him and also for, for Chris and the family that uh, God will give them strength it's lovely to see Mary here again this morning and uh, so glad that you were able to have uh, some days away last week was it? you were able to go away um, we pray that your treatment will, will continue to, to, to go well. We understand that 
Mary had uh, quite a lot of chemotherapy last week and I think that takes her out of the system. Lovely to see Gladys here this morning. Know that life is difficult for you at the moment, Gladys, and we and she's very grateful for, for all the help that she's been getting. Please continue to visit, phone and pray for her. We don't have any uh, specific news of Marion, but we know that she struggles too with, with health issue. But you know, it's always a real encouragement to talk to. Uh, so uh, let's please remember Marion. Pauline struggles with everyday life, but she sees, loves, loves seeing people who drop in, so please do pop in or phone. Uh, it's her birthday uh, tomorrow, so uh, the flowers from the Bethel will be taken for her, and there's a card uh, to sign on the bath there. Uh, Norman and Margaret were at the fraternal yesterday, so it was lovely to see them. Again, we, we understand that John Bonani is feeling quite, uh, quite low at the moment, uh, and we pray that, that, uh, that he will be supported. Uh, and again, if you can send him a text message, if you can send him an email, then I'm sure he would be very grateful to receive that. Phoebe starts, starts university next week. So it's her last Sunday here for a while. And we, we do uh, pray for God's blessing on her as she starts you know, this new phase of her life. So we pray that, uh, that Phoebe will feel the, the love and peace of our Lord Jesus as she embarks on this new beginning and that he will keep her, her safe. There's quite a lot of care announcements that I've read out, but I'm sure each of us have things in our hearts that there are concerns to us as individuals or maybe on behalf of other people. So we're going to spend a little bit of time now just uh, asking for God's blessing on those people. If there are any other things that people would like me to, to raise in, in this pastoral prayer, then please would you speak now. Lord God, we sit before you and we lay out our hearts before you, our concerns. Lord God, we have spoken about our arrangements for the coming week the, the opportunities that we have to serve you we've talked about the concerns that we have about our our brothers and sisters and difficult circumstances that they are experiencing Lord, we've also heard good and encouraging news, exciting news. And Lord, we pray that you will bless those opportunities and receive our thanks. Lord God, all of those people that we've spoken about all of those opportunities, all of those exciting bits of news, Lord, we bring them before you now and in just a few moments of quiet now, hear our prayer for those. Rosie is going to read to us from 2 Kings chapter 19. Um, again, the, the setting is that Sennacherib's armies are threatening Jerusalem and Hezekiah is, uh, is taking the threats and laying it out before God. And Rosie's going to start reading from 2 Kings 19 from verse 14. 2 Kings chapter 19, 
starting at verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have heaped insults on the Lord, and you said, With my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choicest of its pines. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forest. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard... Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now, I have brought it to pass, that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people, drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you stay, and where you come and go, and how you rage against me. Because your rage against me and your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Syria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in his temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Shereza cut him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Thank you, Rosie.
I've asked Jack if he will read uh, to us from uh, Luke chapter 5, which is the story of the the calling of the the first disciples. So Jack, would you you read to us from Luke chapter 5? One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. And so they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. And while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came to him who was covered in leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news spread about him, so all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and and from Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they couldn't find a way up to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the, middle of the, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things this day. And after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. And Levi had held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, 
It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. And Jesus told them this parable, No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he'll have torn the new garment and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For he says, the old is better. Let's sing together. Hymn 203 is one that's about those faithful men who Jesus called. Those men and women that Jesus called. From fishers' nets, from fig trees' shade, God gathers whom he will. Touched by his grace, such men are made his purpose to fulfil. That uh, passage that Jack read to us in, uh, in Luke, I think gives us a tremendous insight into, into the way that Jesus dealt with people. And also the way in which people reacted to Jesus Peter's starts off in verse in chapter 5 in the first few verses as being very much a uh, as being very much a uh, someone in the background he's just uh, part of the the facilities management if you like he provides the sound stage for Jesus to to, uh, to speak to the people and he probably thought that by letting Jesus borrow his boat it might have taken up an hour of his time an hour of his life but actually Jesus wanted more Jesus pointed Peter Simon Peter towards a a large catch of fish and at that moment Peter knew that something was up this was a, a special man this was something different and his reaction to Jesus I think is fascinating because he fell he fell at Jesus' knees and said go away from me Lord I'm a sinful man he saw this miracle that had happened and he knew that if he wasn't careful he might get involved in this and it might make demands on him that would be difficult. Jesus' reaction was to want to escape. What Jesus was was so different from what he was that uh, that, that differential was uncomfortable and disturbing I'm a sinful man well what did he expect did he expect that Jesus only came to call the fully formed in their faith he doesn't call the perfect he doesn't call the sorted he calls the sinners he calls the doubters he calls the weary over in, in Matthew he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you are burdened, then I'll give you what you need. Maybe not always what you want, but what you need. And he says, Take my yoke upon you. 
and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls we come now perhaps weary and burdened certainly as sinners and we come to remember our Lord who calls us to meet with him as we are so that we can be transformed and he took bread gave thanks and broke it Andy is going to offer our thanks for the bread Almighty God you are our Father and we come now as your children to say thank you thank you that you have called each one of us to be to be your children to be together as your family and as we share this bread this token of a body the body that we all share in now with Jesus as the head and also of Jesus' body broken on the cross for us Lord we thank you that that you've called us here and that we have this time when we can remember you remember Jesus remember each other and recognise that that we need you that we want to be close to you and to follow your son we ask this in his name Amen He took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Pete is going to offer our thanks for the cup. Lord, if the, if the bread makes us think about how you've, you've called us and gathered us and put us together in one, Maybe the, the thing that the wine makes us think about most is the fact that you have washed us, made us clean. And the fantastic thing about that, Lord, is, and I don't pretend to understand how this works, is that you see us not as we are, but as we will be. And so you see each of us as dressed in shining white robes and when we look at ourselves with our own eyes we see ourselves as dirty and dressed in rags Lord I pray help us to see ourselves and to see each other as you see us Help us to recognise the great love that you have poured out in Jesus. And as we take this cup, Lord, help us to remember what we will be as the bride of your Son. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. And we thank you that you give us constant reminders to show us how much you love us in Jesus. Amen. Is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you.
Let's sing together. Take this bread I give to you. And as you do, remember me. Take this cup I fill for you. And as you do, remember me. Take this love I've given you. And as you do, remember me. Tony. I'm glad I'm only speaking here and I didn't have to make those announcements this morning. <laughs> and I thought when Martha said Congo night, I thought it's Congo night. That, that sounds good. Anyway. I've been... I often get to thinking about sort of strange things. Uh, I, I don't know how I got there, but uh, sometimes... Uh, well, once or twice, I found myself thinking about um, uh, things that, that that don't kind of square up to my understanding of what God is like. I suppose you could call them what appear, what, how it appears on the face of it, are inconsistencies in Scripture. And I'm thinking about things. I, I was thinking about kind of things where, where God seems a bit harsh sometimes and uh, I'm thinking in particular about people like Achan who sort of took a few of the spoils that, that God had told them not to touch and for that he, he he owned up to it as well he said yeah when he was confronted he said yes I've sinned he, he didn't try and deny it and yet he, he was killed for that and then, not long before that, in Leviticus, the, the, the fellow who was gathering wood on the Sabbath. He was killed for that as well. And, and later on in the New Testament, you've got Ananias and Sapphira. And, uh, and sometimes I can't help feeling that, that these things are a bit harsh. And, and I wonder if this is it's this same God that, that, that I know, that, that, that I've been taught about, that is full of grace and love. And I can't always square it up. And I come to the conclusion that there's, there must be something more to it than just what you see on the face of it, on, on the actual things that they've done. Because when I talk about inconsistencies, you see people literally in the Old Testament, and I'm thinking particularly of David, who get away with murder. And this does lead me to think, well, there's, there must be something more to it. There's more to it than that. It's, it, it's not about the actual things they've done. It's and I guess I have to trust that God knows. God knows the heart, and God understands, and God knows. And trust and faith is what I'm really getting on to this morning. I want to look at people that have had a relationship with God. And I'm in Abraham mood. Uh, uh, mode I've been for about a year actually I think I may have been in Abraham mode last year so I may have said some of this um, Abraham had a relationship with God but it was a relationship uh, which was a relationship of grace he was on the side of God's grace he was stood in God's grace and into this relationship, into this relationship, he entered by faith. We're told it's by faith we are saved and, and faith comes by the grace of God. Abraham left everything and gave it all up for a promise. God said, leave this place and I promise you that you will be great, you will be blessed. I'll make a nation of you. And Abraham did this. And in doing that, 
through faith he entered into a relationship with God and he moved from a place of condemnation to a place of grace where he was covered by the grace of God and was open to the blessings which God wanted to give him and that's key because God wants to give blessings to us so we just have to move over and faith is the way he got in and once he was there it seems that Abraham to me did quite a lot to try and jeopardise that position his faith he had certainly had lapses in faith what did he do when he reached the promised land but there was a famine and he wasn't there five minutes he decided to go down to Egypt where it might be better leave the place that God said was his and go somewhere else and then he got himself into trouble with his wife Sarai as she was called then and he had to lie about her and it looks like the promise is gone gone here and Abraham has jeopardised his relationship with God but you see the thing is the fact that he's in that relationship means that he's under grace and God brings him back in spite of Abraham's weaknesses and in spite of the fact that he's jeopardised the promise and the promise seems to have gone out the window God brings him back he makes Pharaoh ill and Pharaoh calls Abraham as he's called then and says what's this, you know, why did you lie about your wife? And he sends him packing. And because he sends him packing, he's gone back to where God wants him to be. And it's by grace that God brings him back. And grace operates during those times when we have lapses and when our faith is weak, when we're in that position, goodness knows I have had lapses I have them all the time there are some times when I question what I'm doing I question actually sometimes whether I really believe it all and goodness knows I have done such things to jeopardise my relationship with God to jeopardise the promise that he's given me but I'm here why? because at some point through faith I entered that position of grace and I'm here still in spite of all I've done in spite of my efforts to rebel in spite of my lapses I'm still here And that's a minor miracle. Well, actually, it's a big miracle. I'm here by the grace of God. Here in the grace of God I stand. Somehow, God keeps bringing me back. And it's this relationship which sets Abraham apart. It's this relationship which makes the difference and it's the relationship which is the underlying thing and the important thing which means that God can overlook things that we do because we are standing on the side of grace Abraham's ultimate test of faith came towards the end of his life when he had to sacrifice when he was asked to sacrifice he didn't have to do it in the end we know his son Isaac his only son and although it was hard and I'm sure Abraham must have questioned it he took Isaac and he laid him out and God said to Abraham stop I know you fear me now I know you love me 
I can see your faith. I don't believe Abraham would have been able to do that at the beginning of his life. I don't believe Abraham would have been able to do that in any point of his life. Maybe that's why Abraham was so old when he had Isaac. Because he'd had a big curve of growing in his relationship with God, of understanding how God was able to work with him and help him in times of trouble and in times of lapse and in times of jeopardy. And he understood God and what he was able to offer him. And, well, he must be, he's at least 110 by this time. I don't think I'm going to get to that point. So I can't see me reaching that point where I've got that sort of faith. I've got a way to go. Just another 90 years. (laughs) I want to look at David. Because David, to me, represents somebody who who can teach me the most about faith. As far as I know it, David saw no kind of big, showy, flashy miracles in his life. He didn't see water parting. He didn't see fire come down from heaven. He didn't see a pillar of fire, he didn't see manna from heaven, he didn't see the dead raised but he saw miracles nonetheless what David saw were miracles in his everyday life and David's whole relationship was God, he entered his relationship with God because of his faith and his whole relationship was based on this faith Faith that God was in his life. Faith that God was responsible for everything that that David was able to achieve. David was quite a successful sort of bloke. He seemed to be good at most things. He turned his hand up. A sort of person you hate really. He was kind of good at music. He was good in battle. He was good uh, as a king and he was good. He was a man after God's own heart. Some say that it was when, when, when we talk about being a man after God's own heart that he sought the heart of God. So, as I said, there were no kind of flashy miracles but every day, David, as a youngster, worked in the wilderness looking after sheep in the fields and he was exposed to all sorts of dangers and he had to deal with it and he dealt with it he used his sling or whatever and he dealt with it he got on he was out there there couldn't have been much to do but survive but he got through it but what David does is he recognises God as being the one that gets him through God the one who saved him from the lions and the bears God who because he did that is able to save me from this man Goliath now David was a good shot with a sling I believe that David knew he could hit Goliath because he was good with a sling because he'd had plenty of time to practice he'd used it and he'd hit the target very consistency but David saw God as his deliverer David attributed the, the things in his life to God and David's, as I said, David's whole relationship was based on seeing God in his life and what he'd done through his life how God had brought him from one place to another looking back and seeing God in his life and that's something I can do that's something we can all do that's why I can identify with David I don't 
pretend to be anything like David but I can see how faith works in David's life how David and his relationship with God and how everything he did for God becomes praise and worship to him a living sacrifice that's what it means that all the things we do for God become praise and worship to him this was so with David his prayers, his times of quiet his times of anger, his times of need his times of shame but all the time God was there and so David was under grace and so David got away with murder he was punished but he certainly didn't get the punishment that his actions deserved there's something more than just what you see on the face of it God knows the heart God wants to know our heart God wants a relationship with each one of us and such is his desire that he's actually sent somebody to come and get us he sent the Lord Jesus he's given Jesus and Jesus refers to himself more often than not as the son of man because Jesus became like us that's how much God wants us to have a relationship and like Abraham and like David we have this relationship through our faith in him the son of man has come to seek out and rescue that which is lost and we know what Jesus went through just so that he could have this relationship with us just so that we could be on the side of grace we could step over from condemnation and be on the side of grace so that we can be forgiven so that we are forgiven for our lapses and for the times we jeopardise our relationship and it's faith that enables us to see Jesus accomplish things that we can't it's faith which says I've been trying all night and I've caught nothing but if you say so I will it's faith that enables that to happen it enables Jesus to do it for us to do the things that we cannot do it is faith which enables outcasts and unclean people to stand before God incidentally I, I, was, I was surprised to learn that, that the word that some, read somewhere that the word for um, where, where it says in Isaiah about Jesus being despised and rejected um, that the word is, is, is the same word as is used for leprous that's how far Jesus goes he becomes like a leper an outcast to be with us to understand us so faith enables outcasts like us unclean people to stand before God faith enables sin to be forgiven son of man can forgive sins and faith enables 
us to leave it all behind for a promise. And Jesus is that promise. Thanks so much, Tony. Jesus is the promise. For now. And also for the future. There is a louder shout to come. There is a sweeter song to hear. All the nations with one voice, all the people with one fear, bowing down before your throne. And what a song we'll sing on that day. Let's sing together hymn 267 from Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Mighty God, you do deserve an anthem of the highest praise. You in the Old Testament saved your people Israel. In the New Testament, the New Covenant, covenant you saved us, each individual one of us. You gave your dear son that we might live and you have never, ever taken your gaze away from each individual one of us. Father, we, as Tony has said, every single one of us here have turned our face away from you. We've all denied you at times. We've all done things none of us are proud of. In each one of us there is a dark place and you know it, Lord. And yet, you never take your face away from us. You promised us, Lord, you gave us your dear promise, your son. And you love us. And on that day, Lord, it will not just be us that will be lifted up. It will not just be us that's smiling. We know, Father, that you will have the greatest smile. Because our gaze will never leave you. We will bathe in your love and your light. The Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask this blessing. Amen.